We're starting a new series this morning. We're starting a series called Best for Last. This is a series about the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking, I don't know how many of you all were here, and Ryan, you might remember, what, what year was Russ Lee here? Do you remember? Was that 2014? Around 2014, our church's attendance was really at a peak at the time, and we brought in a gentleman by the name of Russ Lee from, um, he's from New Song. Some of you all may be familiar with the Christian band New Song. We brought Russ Lee in, and I don't remember how many people we packed in here, but I remember we promoted that event like crazy. We told everybody that Russ Lee was going to be here. Joy, I bet you remember that, don't you? We told everybody. We had flyers out in the community. We had Big Lou on the queue pumping it out for us. We had tons of people. We had tons of people excited to show up for Russ Lee. And this room was full, and Russ Lee did an incredible job. But it got me thinking, it got me thinking, if we had an event that we could host here at Eastland Life Church, and we could get Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, in flesh, if we could get Jesus Christ here in person to speak, how many people do you think we could pack into this room? There wouldn't be any room. I bet you we would have people stacked on top of each other just to get in here. I bet if we could get Jesus in front of you, we could get this place completely packed out. And I can guarantee you that there would be an excitement and a buzz and an energy unlike anything that you had seen before because the person of Jesus Christ was here. In our own lives, I ask you this, if Jesus could walk with you every day, if when you sat down to pray, Jesus sat across from you and you could talk to him, if when you go to work tomorrow morning, you could have Jesus in the passenger seat with you, maybe let Jesus take the wheel, as that fantastic worship song says. Maybe he'll drive. I'm sorry, that was bad. If Jesus could be at work with you, if Jesus could come home at the end of your long work day and eat dinner with you and your family, or maybe it would be just you and him, how much different would our lives be? How much more encouraged would we be to live life day to day? How much more simple would life be if we had Jesus with us all the time? Church, I ask that question because that is the expectation that the disciples had of Jesus when he came to earth and he chose them. They believed that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom, that he was going to bring political and social peace that he was going to free the people of Israel out from under Roman oppression, and that the disciples were going to be princes in this new kingdom, if you will. They had the belief that they would be with Jesus for the entirety of his ministry. And in one way they were. But in John chapter 14, as Jesus sat down with the disciples after the Last Supper, this is the night before Jesus was to be um, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. The next morning he was going to be betrayed and he was going to be hung on a cross for your sin and for my sin. Jesus sat them down and Jesus gave them some news that they were not prepared for. It had been predicted in the Old Testament. He had told them before that he was going to die, but I think there's a very real sense in the text that you can see that the disciples did not believe Jesus when he said he was going away. But he told them again in John chapter 14 and John chapter 15, he told them that he was going to be betrayed, that he was going to be killed, that he was going to die, that he was going to raise from the dead three days later, and after that, he would be with them a little while and that he would leave them and that he would depart. And you can imagine... Being a disciple in that day, coming from nothing, being a nobody, being a, 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 a cast-off, a, a forgetful person, somebody who's not educated, somebody who's not qualified, these disciples had given up everything for three years to follow Jesus. 
And they had this expectation of what life would look like. And here's Jesus telling them, it's not going to look how you think. It's going to be different. I'm going to be leaving. But he told them something that I think they struggled to believe. He told them something that I think if they had been honest with him in that moment, they would have looked him in the eye and said, Jesus, I don't believe that this is true, and I don't believe that this is possible. And I think that if he were here today and he would tell us this same thing, I think we would struggle to believe this too. Because as I look across the country's landscape, as I look across the cultural landscape as it were, and I see our culture dipping further and further into rebellion, I see the spirit of the church falling with it. And many Christians today, we walk around with our faces down, and we walk around a little dejected. And if we're honest, many of us walk around lonely, we walk around tired, we walk around defeated, we walk around worried, we walk around fearful. And what we truly hope more than anything is that Jesus will just come back. And church, I hope that. Amen. I'd love for Jesus to come back today. But Jesus has not planned for that, at least not yet as far as we know. What Jesus has planned for is that our best days would be ahead of us. What Jesus told the disciples that night is that when he left, it was going to be for their good. I want you to see what he tells them in John 14. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Church this morning, and for those watching online, if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, I want you to raise your hand. Don't be ashamed of it. You can raise your hand at home too. Your family can think you're crazy. It's cool. If we believe in him... If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God's raised him from the dead, the Bible says we will be saved. And if that's us, if that's me, and if that's you, Jesus told the disciples, and he tells us prophetically through his word, that those who believe in him will do the same works that he did, and greater works than these will he do, because he's going to the Father. Now this morning, I wonder... If anybody would just be honest and raise your other hand and say, I believe in him, but I struggle to believe John 14, 12. I believe in Jesus, and I believe that his word is the word of God, and I believe that Jesus only speaks truth. But when Jesus looks at me and says, hey, Blake Jackson, it is good for you that I'm not here. Hey, Ryan, it's good for you that Jesus is not showing up on Sunday morning. Jimmy Riley, it's good that Jesus isn't going to go to work with you tomorrow morning because he is sending somebody in his place who is going to dwell with us, who's going to transform everything. He tells us that it's better. He says the best is yet to come for the disciples. But I don't know if they believed it, and I don't know if we do today. Church, one thing I love about our church is that we are a church that I believe models what Jesus said when he said he was looking for worshipers who would worship him in spirit and in truth. I love that our church is not afraid to show emotion. I told a story last night, I'll tell it again this morning, about a woman who's been coming to our services. She may be watching online this morning for all I know. She's been coming to our services for about a month now, and she's been enjoying herself. She shared with me a few times what God was doing, with, uh, doing in her heart. And she got on our website, and she clicked the little Contact Us link, and she filled out a form for us to contact her. Now, usually, when somebody fills out one of those forms, it's either like a, like a, a, a scam call or a scam system, just plugging that in, or it's, you know, somebody, it's like a Nigerian prince looking for money so he can get back to the U.S. Embassy. It's like a Craigslist scam. Usually, they aren't legit. But BJ sent me this when he emailed it, and he said, hey, this form came through, and this one looks legit. And the lady's question was so funny. She had asked a list of questions, but one of the questions that stood out that I loved, is she said, 
what kind of church is this? I've been coming here for a month, and I can't figure you people out. Are you Baptist? Are you Pentecostal? Or do you even know what you are? And what we told her, among other things, as we answered all her questions, is we said that, hey, we have some doctrinal things that we believe, and we shared those with her, some very important things. But in reality, we are people who strive to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. And my hope today is not that we would leave this place this morning feeling condemned or feeling guilty because we don't live in the spirit enough. That's not my hope. I think we've got a uniquely special church. I believe that with all my heart. But my hope is that when we leave this place this morning, we can believe John 14, 12. My hope is when we leave this place this morning and we go into our workplaces tomorrow morning and we start the work week again and life sort of gets back to some semblance of normal, that we will walk into that workplace with the belief that because of the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent to us, we can do great works in the name of Jesus. And in a sense, we can do even greater works than he did because we can go beyond the community of Israel. We can go beyond what he did 2,000 years ago. It doesn't mean that we're better. It doesn't mean that we're greater. It just means that he, uh, he strives to do great things in us, and he intends to keep our best days ahead of us. Do you all believe that? Amen. Amen. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit. Now, I don't believe that we're going to have time this morning or in this series. I expect this series to last about three weeks, maybe four, depending on how long-winded I get, so bet on four. I expect that we will not answer every question about the Holy Spirit. And I expect that we will not go to every scripture. The Holy Spirit is mentioned about 75 times in the Old Testament and about 250 in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit, over 300 times in the Bible, is discussed. And we will not discuss every one of those, and I'm sure you're grateful for that. So the goal for this series is to highlight a few things about the Holy Spirit that I believe scripture would have us internalize and to know. So that we can take it with us, take him with us, and we can live a life of more power and more faith than we live with today. Because church, when I look at the world, this world needs a people, this world needs a church that's full of faith. And this world needs the power of God. This world needs faith and this world needs power. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. You won't see the word Trinity in your Bible, but what we mean by Trinity is that we believe the Bible is very clear that God is three persons. God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. These three persons are not the same. They're not different forms of the same person. These are three separate people that all make up our one God. I don't have an illustration for you on how that works because there isn't one. If anybody ever tries to show you an illustration of how the Holy Spirit works, stop them before they get started because there's nothing in the scope of the universe that can explain how one can be three. The math doesn't add up. But we know, based on Scripture, that the Holy Spirit is separate from God the Father and from Jesus the Son, but He's fully equal and He's fully eternal. He has existed with God in eternity, and He is always working when God is working. If you remember in Genesis chapter 1, when God created the heavens and the earth and He separated the land from the waters, it says in Genesis that the Spirit of God hovered over the water. He was active in the role of creation. When you think about the Holy Spirit's work in the New Testament, you think about some things that happened uh, when Jesus was in the tomb, when Jesus had been dead for three days, and on that third morning, he took a breath and he woke up. That breath was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the power that raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit manifests himself in many different ways through the years. 
He was often manifested or described as being wind or breath, even the very breath of God, but he always represents two things. The Holy Spirit, number one, is always confirmation of God's presence. The Holy Spirit is confirmation of God's presence. Let me ask you this, and for those of you who are watching online, have you ever been part of a worship service, or maybe you were listening to a sermon and your heart was just burning, not like physical Buffalo Wild Wings at 1 a.m. heart burning. I'm talking about like a spiritual burning. Anybody ever experienced that? And you know that it's God. You know that it's God. Maybe you've been in a place where the Holy Spirit was moving and you could just feel the presence of God in that place. Anybody relate to that? That is Holy Spirit confirming to you that God is present. That's the Holy Spirit confirming God's presence. And this is such an all-encompassing truth that the Holy Spirit's presence is even confirmation of our very salvation if you go to first john chapter 4 john says it this way he says this is how we know that we live in him and he in us he has given us of his spirit as a short side road here i just want to ask has anybody ever doubted your salvation you ever doubted that you're truly saved you've wondered did god really do this thing And it's usually because we don't feel saved in that moment. Maybe we feel guilty, maybe we feel lonely, whatever it is, we don't feel saved and we begin to wonder if we can know that God has truly saved us. And among many things that John gives us as evidence, one of them is that we have received the Holy Spirit. We're not going to go into this today. Next week's message is going to be centered around the filling of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit fills us, and how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But today I do want to point out that the Holy Spirit is for every believer. The Holy Spirit is for every believer. The Holy Spirit's filling is not something that happens for a few specific Christians who are baptized in the Spirit, so to speak. If you're saved, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's in you. He is in you and He's with you. And you can know you're saved because you have the Holy Spirit. The writer of this scripture, John, has a belief here in this scripture that we should be able to tell if the Spirit is alive within us. Amen? When somebody comes to me And they say, Pastor Blake, I'm just not sure I'm saved. I'll ask them about their life. I'll ask them about the works that they do. I'll ask them about the evidences of salvation in their life. But the thing that I'll usually center in on is I'll ask them, I'll say, do you believe that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead that he knew he was alive? Do you all believe that? That when Jesus woke up, he knew he was alive? Well, the Bible says that that same Holy Spirit that rose him from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that awakens a dead heart in our salvation. And it's hard for me to believe, and it's hard for me to believe because I see in 1 John chapter 4, John seems to be indicating that if you've been made alive by the Holy Spirit of God, that literally if the third person of the Godhead lives inside of your spirit, you should know it. There should be a difference. You should be alive where you were once dead. The Holy Spirit is confirmation of God's presence. Number two, and this is really where we're going to center today, the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of God's power. The Holy Spirit is the manifestation of God's power. And I want to talk to you about that power this morning. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, says it this way. He says, The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid. If you're using an older version of your Bible, it may say that you have not been given a spirit of fear. He said, The Spirit of God does not make us timid. It is not a spirit of fear. Church, when we look at the world today, one way that we can know that everything that's happening in our culture is not God, is that people are afraid. And God's Spirit does not bring fear. When God's Spirit begins to move, 
Fear is not the emotion that we typically experience. Now, there were times in the Old Testament where that was the case, where God would come onto the scene and an angel would show up, or God would present himself in a burning bush, or however he was presenting himself in that moment, and there would be fear in that moment because of what they could see. But in this world that we live in today, fear is not the emotion that God wants us to relate in our relationship with him. Fear is something that comes from the darkness. If you wonder if the feeling you are experiencing is from God or if it's from the enemy, you can know that it's from the enemy if it's fear. Our culture uses a different word. Our culture uses the word anxiety, and I preached a message on anxiety a few weeks ago. But church, I believe that the scripture gives us the remedy to anxiety. The Bible says we can cast our anxiety on him because he cares for us. And because we have his spirit, we can proclaim to the world and to the devil that we have not been given a spirit of fear or anxiety or worry. It doesn't mean we can't fall into it, but it's not who we are. Our diagnosis is not our identity. Our condition is not our identity. Christ is our identity. How do we know that? Because we've been given a spirit. We've been given a spirit because he's alive, we are alive. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit is always a manifestation of the power of God. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, The spirit God gave us doesn't make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I love the word power. I love the word power. Because I don't believe power often characterizes how we feel about ourselves. Do we feel like powerful people? When you hear people talk about the little town of Metropolis, do we describe the city of Metropolis as being a powerful city? Full of powerful people? Church, that can change. It can change. I don't know if we believe John 4 yet, but it can change. And we can change. Because if you've received the Spirit, and Christ is your identity through the Spirit, the Bible tells us that the Spirit that we've been given is one of power. Now, I'm not going to be Tony Robbins this morning and tell you that if you'll call yourself powerful, you'll become powerful. But what I can tell you is that because Jesus' power resides in you through the Holy Spirit, we do have that power available. We may not lean on it like we should. We may not tap into it like we should. But it is there, and it is available to us. I want to talk about this power this morning. This same word for power that we translate into the word power in the English is the Greek word dunamis. It's the Greek word dunamis. It's the word that we get the word dynamite from. And my experience with dynamite is very limited. It's very limited. My experience with dynamite is limited to watching Looney Tunes when I was a kid. And Wiley e. Coyote in his attempts to track down the roadrunner would often use dynamite. He would always order it from Acme because I guess that's the only company who made it back in the 60s when that was being made. He would always order it. It would come in a big wooden box and it looked like little red candles. And he'd light them and inevitably he would always blow up in his own face, not the roadrunners. That's just the way it went. I don't know much about dynamite, but I looked it up. And what was interesting to me about dynamite is that dynamite was invented by the man we named the Nobel Peace Prize after. His name was Alfred Nobel. He was a Swedish man, and he migrated to Germany after the Civil War, not too long after the Civil War, about 1867, something like that. And he invented dynamite, not as a weapon, but as a way to clear out topography, as a way to blow up mountains, as a way to blow up rivers and streams so that we could 
use it to build bridges and roads and dams and railways and all the things that we need now to connect ourselves. You see, dynamite is a power that is not only explosive in nature, it is not only transformative in nature, but it naturally will change the landscape of whatever it blows up. And the power that we receive in the Holy Spirit, the Scripture tells us, is sort of like that. It's a lot like dynamite in our lives. I think of Mark chapter 5. Some of you remember this story. Do you remember the woman who the Bible says had the issue of blood? Do you all remember her? She had an issue of blood. She had a health issue that had gone on for years and years and years. And this woman had basically had to quarantine herself. Because of this health issue, according to the Levitical law, she was unclean because of this issue. So this was not only a physical ailment she had, it was a spiritual ailment that she had. It was a social ailment. She could not live life as she wanted to live life. She was not a woman of power. She was a woman of rejection and hopelessness. She was lonely. And the Bible says that as Jesus walked through the city, a great procession of people followed him. And this woman, so desperate to be healed had heard about Jesus' ability to heal, and it says that she pushed her way through the crowd, defying all the laws that were at the time in place, the social laws, the political laws, even the health mandates. She pushed through those so she could get to Jesus. And it says that she couldn't even get to him, but that as he passed by, she reached down and grabbed a piece of the material of the robe or the garment that he was wearing. And Jesus stopped in that moment And he said something so interesting. He said, who touched me? And the disciples told him in Mark 5, they said, Jesus, there's thousands of people here. It could have been anybody. Tons of people are touching you. And Jesus said, no, this touch was different. Because when this touch happened, power went out from me. And it's the same word that describes the power of the Holy Spirit that we have in us today. You see, there is a a religion. There's a faith in Jesus that believes it in here, okay? There is a faith in Jesus that believes the truth in our head. And very often that truth will come out in our life, and it may look something like this. There's a faith that says, I'm going to church this morning because that's what we do, and that's what I should do. I'm going to go to church because I should. And we come to church because we should. And when the music's going, we stand up, and we sort of participate because we should. And when the preaching is happening, we listen to the very best of our ability because we know that we should. And when we leave, we try to be good people because we know that we should. And when we go to work on Monday morning, we try to keep the momentum going because we know that we should. But the problem with living life with a no we should mentality is that there's no power in it. And we don't often experience in that mentality the dynamite explosion of the Holy Spirit radically transforming the topography of our life. The landscape doesn't look different for many of us who claim to be in Christ. And the goal today is that we would understand that the power available to us through the Holy Spirit is one that is of dynamite proportions. It is one that if we seek it, There's a touch that we can get from Jesus that will literally pull power from him into us. And church, that's the kind of Christianity I want. When I scroll my Facebook feed and I see negative story after negative story after negative story and I see memes that are sarcastic in nature and I see people tearing each other down 
and I watch the news and I see what's happening in our world and everybody's scared to death and we are putting our hope in political systems and we're putting our hope in social movements, church, the last thing I want to do is try to be a Christian because I know I should be. Because I don't have the power or the energy to make anything come of that. And maybe you're here this morning and your faith is characterized by a desire for power that you don't experience. And maybe along the way somewhere, you were told incorrectly that the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that. Has anybody ever read the book of Acts? If you read Acts chapter 2 and you just keep reading through the book of Acts, you'll find that the church back then didn't look like the church today. Have you ever read through the book of Acts and wondered why the church today doesn't look like that? I'll tell you, if you believe that the reason the church today doesn't explode like the church in the book of Acts did in the first century... If you believe that it's because the world today is worse than it's ever been, I've got news for you, it isn't. The world in that day was much more hostile to Christianity than America is today. Church, we sit in a comfortable room today, and I'm grateful for that. We don't have to worry about anybody invading this space this morning and persecuting us for our faith. In fact, right now, a little less than half of America claims to believe what we believe. We still live very much, especially in this area of the country, we still live as the moral majority, but there's not a lot of power there. And as it feels like we lose the fight with culture, I want to remind us this morning through Scripture that we possess dynamite power to take into this city. We possess dynamite power to take into this city, but we can't take it out there if it's not yet in here. And for many of us this morning, I fear that maybe you don't have it. Maybe not many, maybe just a few, hopefully nobody. But I'm almost positive that many of us have it available, but we don't tap into it. We would not describe our spiritual lives as being powerful. We would not describe ourselves as being powerful Christians. My goal today is that we would push through the mess so that we can take hold of Jesus and that power would come out of him into us. And that when we go back in our homes we are husbands and fathers of power. That we don't fear the culture. We don't fear the influence in our homes. We don't fear what the enemy can do to our relationships. We don't fear for our careers. That we don't sit around worried and scared to death about money and worry and scared to death about culture. Church, I want us to be excited about the future because I believe the best is yet to come. I believe the best is yet to come. I want you to believe it too. I want to go into John chapter 16 this morning. John chapter 16, this is going to be our text, we won't spend just a ton of time here, but I want us to see this power, to understand the nature of it, and to look at it in the context of John 16. So John is writing because Jesus is speaking the night before he's crucified. So this is one of the last conversations Jesus will ever have with his disciples. It's the last conversation he'll have with his disciples before he is betrayed and turned over to the Roman authorities to be crucified. This is one of the last things Jesus told them before he left them to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He says, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. Church, one of the aspects of the power of the Holy Spirit that we have received is that we have the power through the Holy Spirit to stay saved. We are able to continue on in salvation, not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is literally the power to keep us saved. Church, I don't know how many amens that should receive, but church, we don't have to try to continue doing what Jesus started in us. In Galatians 3.3, 3, 
Paul wrote, and he said it this way. He said, are you so crazy? Are you so foolish to believe that what began in you by the power of the Spirit, you can now perfect it in the flesh? Hebrews says that the work that began in us, he'll be faithful to finish it. He'll be faithful to complete it. Why is this important? Do I believe that anybody here today believes that we can lose our salvation? I don't know your theology, but I don't believe that. I think it's taught very clearly from this church and in the Bible that once saved, always saved. Amen? Those who receive the Spirit will keep the Spirit. Jesus said, nobody can pluck you out of my hand. We know that we can't lose our salvation up here. But what about the experience of salvation? What about the experience of power? How many of us have gone through that thing where we get excited spiritually, we get excited about what God's doing, but then we blow it? Anybody blown it? You ever tripped up, slipped up? Talked to a gentleman last night. He was discouraged, he was worried, he was concerned because a Christian friend of his had slipped up. He had messed up. And he was so worried about him. And I said, do you believe this individual saved? He said, yes. And I said, then what that individual needs is grace. That individual needs to know, not that he's condemned, not that he's guilty, but he needs to know that though our sorrow lasts through the night, there is joy coming in the morning. He needs to know, and you and I need to know this morning, that no matter how bad you've messed this up since Jesus saved you, you are just as safe today as you were the moment that he saved you. And that smile that God has on your life permanently does not change when we mess up. I know that we believe God is happy when we do good and that he's mad when we do bad. But the truth is, God's anger was poured out upon Jesus Christ on the cross. Whatever sins I commit, it grieves the Spirit. I truly believe this. It grieves the Spirit because in my guilt I run away from God. And in my guilt, I distance myself from the church. And in my shame, I tend to believe that I will no longer have spiritual power. And in my condemnation, I begin to fear that God will not use me as he once could have used me. But church, the truth is, when we mess up, we need to remind ourselves of John 16, that just because we've blown it, or just because our circumstances have changed, the Spirit is alive forever within us. This is the power to keep us saved. Let's keep the Scripture moving. He says, the power to keep us saved. He says, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. This is the culture they lived in in that day. There were people who out of zeal for God would kill Christians. This is what they dealt with. And Jesus was warning them. He says, they're going to do these things because they have not known the Father and they've not known me. The power of the Holy Spirit is the power to get us through difficult times. Power of the Holy Spirit is the power to get us through difficult times. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what circumstances have changed, but you've heard some testimonies in recent weeks. I think of Pastor Ryan's message, Running on Empty. I think of that from about three weeks ago. Do you all remember that one? When he talked about how difficult it was to pick himself back up after things in his life had blown up and not in a good way. But the testimony of how God was faithful to not leave him or forsake him during that moment was the defining moment in his spiritual journey. And there's hope today because of what Jesus has already done. Jesus told him in verse 4, he says, I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Church, the power of the Holy Spirit is the power to sustain us through hard times. You will get through it. 
You will get through it. What you're going through right now will not destroy you because you have the Holy Spirit within you. If death couldn't keep Jesus dead, our difficulties will not kill us. All right? If Jesus didn't stay dead because the Holy Spirit showed up, when the Holy Spirit showed up for you, that Holy Spirit's going to make sure that you're going to make it. That you're going to make it. In verse 5, he says, Now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Here's that message again. And notice that he keys in on grief. Now, here's where I want to camp for just a moment as I get ready to close. I want to camp on this idea that Jesus' message to them that morning is that even though I'm going away, even though I'm leaving you, your best days are ahead of you. Even though I'm leaving you, there's a power that's coming to you that's going to take you to the next level spiritually. It's going to bring about miracles that you have not seen while I've been here on earth. Jesus was literally giving them good news. Can we agree? In the midst of all this, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised again and I'm going to leave stuff. Jesus is telling them, this is good for you. This is good for you. But yet it says in the scripture that because of their grief, they could not hear what he was saying. Jesus said, I'm telling you all these things and you're not asking me where I'm going. You're so filled with grief that you're not concerned with that. And I wonder how many Christians are so filled with grief that they can't be excited about where Jesus is taking them. I wonder how many of us are stuck in that hurt in that pain, in that loneliness. Because church, the world throws it at us, doesn't it? If you let it, and even if you try not to, even if you try to resist it, sometimes things just fall in our lap that we didn't ask for. There's some broken families. We didn't ask for that. You didn't screw it up. You didn't run out and try to blow your family up. You did the best you could, and your family just blew up in your face. And it'll mess you up. It'll ruin you. It'll break your heart. I know parents who have raised children. I can think of some of them in this church. Some of them are here today, some are not. I can think of parents in the room and online who have done their best to raise their children up under the nurture and care of the Lord in the body of the church. And yet when their children got older, they departed and they left from the faith and they pray for them daily. And you didn't mess that up. You didn't ask for that. There's nothing better you could have done. It just, these things happen. And Christians have a tendency to get stuck in our pain. It's not wrong to feel pain. Amen? It's not wrong to experience weakness in our pain, in our struggle. In fact, the Bible tells us that as the church, it is our job that as those who are experiencing pain go through it, that we weep with them. There's no shame in mourning. There's no shame in mourning the loss of something or somebody that you love. There is no shame. In fact, there is encouragement and there is hope when we pour out our hurt to Jesus that we can come through the other side of it. But what concerns me and what worries me is when people are unable to do that and they hang on to the hurt and the hurt becomes their defining characteristic and we become people who identify with our pain. And we say, what kind of person are you? And they would say, I'm a lonely person. I'm a hurt person. I'm a damaged person. I'm an anxious person. I'm a worried person. I'm a scared person. I'm a concerned person. I'm a sick person. Church, it's okay to experience these things, and it's normal and it's healthy to grieve, but we don't stay in our grief forever. 
And to allow ourselves to stay in a state of emotional and spiritual sadness because of something tragic that has happened, though it's normal, it is not God's will for us to stay there. There is healing available to every Christian. And for those who are here today who don't know the Lord, and for those who are watching online who are not yet Christians, I want you to understand today that your past does not have to define you forever. The power of the Holy Spirit that comes to us in our salvation is a power that will not only redeem us and pay the penalty for our sins and forgive us and make us right legally before God. The power of the Holy Spirit keeps us saved. It gets us through hard times. And when we go through new hard times, when we get caught up in what has happened, it helps to get us through these seasons of grief and into the other side where God can do miraculous things through us again. You see, it's God's will that we don't stay in our grief forever. It's God's will to heal our grief. Church, I believe it's God's will to heal our physical ailments. I don't believe it's always His will. I believe if it was always His will, then He would do it. But I believe that God desires to make us well. I believe that God desires to make us healthy. And I think that that spiritually is always true. It is always the Holy Spirit's desire to pick you up. So I ask you this morning, how's your soul? How's your heart? How's your hope? How's your expectation? If Jesus showed up, how much would it change? If the answer is that you're down and you've been down for a while and you really wish Jesus would come in and change things, my encouragement to you today is that Jesus already changed things. When Jesus came to earth as man and he died and he rose again, that changed everything. You see, the fact that Jesus got up out of the grave is something that all of us have to come to terms with. What do you do with the man who rises from the dead? You follow him. Wherever that dude's going, I'm going with him. Whatever he's got, I want some of it. And church, the good news is he didn't give us some of it. He gave us all of it. He gave us every bit of it. So if your soul is down this morning, let me encourage you from the scripture. There is hope for you. There is hope in your brokenness. The world may tell you that you'll never heal or recover from this. We prayed with a person last night who by all accounts in the world system is a hopeless case. Too hurt, too damaged, in too much pain. But we know better than that. We know better than to believe that a diagnosis is our definition. We believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Everything about us can be transformed and redeemed. We believe this morning that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we receive when we are saved, that if we will lean into Jesus, if we will be like that woman who pushed through the crowd and defied every known moral law of that day to get to Jesus, not worrying what anybody else thought, that if she could get to him, that she would find power there. I want you to know this morning that if you've got Jesus as your Savior, there's power there. And you may have struggled with the same thing for months or years. And conventional wisdom would tell you, and your flesh would tell you, and your brain would tell you that if you've been an addict for 50 years, you're not going to get it right on year 51. But the Holy Spirit says that when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And the old things have passed away. Are you damaged from your divorce? Are you broken from your bankruptcy? Are you hopeless from your hurt? You can leave this place different. 
those watching online, you can be made new in your home. It doesn't mean that you get saved again. It simply means that we get a fresh start with the Spirit. That we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us up, to baptize us, if you will. It's not an act of salvation. It's not an act of regeneration by which we get saved again. It's simply a declaration that I believe that what Jesus has done for me is sufficient for my problems. It is sufficient for my grief. It is sufficient for my hurt. And it is sufficient to bring me hope. Let's finish up. Last part of John 16. We're going to go through verse 10. He talked about their grief. He said, you're filled with grief because I've said these things, but truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. And he says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. He calls the Holy Spirit in this scripture the advocate. Now, your Bible may say the helper. They mean very similar things. The Greek word here is parakletos. It literally means the helper who comes along beside. The helper who comes along beside. Are you lonely this morning? Do you feel like you're fighting this battle alone? The truth is you're not. If you've got Jesus, you've got a helper who comes along beside you everywhere you go. And the advocate is an interesting word because the advocate speaks to the reality that when we mess up and when we fail and when we fail to measure up to the expectations that God has for us or maybe that we've put on ourselves, we have an advocate in the Holy Spirit who is constantly going to the Father and reminding Him to continue blessing us to continue holding on to us, and to continue keeping us. He said, when I leave, it's going to be for your good because you'll receive the advocate. He says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people don't believe in me, and about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Church, I want to finish on this. The power of the Holy Spirit is the power to display Jesus through our lives. Now, I want to share with you my burden for our church and for our community. Power of the Holy Spirit is the power for us, for me and you, to display Jesus. I believe if Jesus thought that more people would get saved if he stuck around, he would have stuck around. But he didn't. He left. And if you think about Jesus' ministry, how many years did Jesus do ministry? About three, give or take. And for all the miracles that Jesus did, for all the healings that Jesus did, for all the signs and wonders that Jesus did, for all the prophecies that he fulfilled, he literally had 11 people who stuck with him. Maybe a little more than that. Maybe a group that followed them around. But by and large, less than 100 people were really there for the whole thing. And when he died, he died almost completely alone. He had John there. He had his mother there. But he had been betrayed by his own people. He had been betrayed by his own disciples who scattered and ran away from him. One of them even denied him. The other one betrayed him and turned him over to the authorities. After three years of ministry where Jesus performed these unbelievable signs and wonders, he died alone. And yet in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples at the day of Pentecost and they preach, church, 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people got saved at a time when it was illegal to be a Christian. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine in Metropolis, Illinois, if it was illegal to be a Christian, if it would not only cost you your social status, but it would cost you your legal status, and yet we had people flooding into this sanctuary every single week so that they could follow Jesus. My burden for the church, not just Eastland, but for the church in general, is that because we struggle to believe John chapter 4, verse 13, where Jesus says, even greater things than these you'll do because I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you, because I'm going away from you, you're going to do greater things. I think we look at that and we go, 
I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Sounds like blasphemy. And we look at Acts chapter 2 and we see thousands of people getting saved and we go, man, that, that was amazing what happened back then. Amazing. What if the Spirit moved like that today? And we look at Metropolis and we assign it labels like Metropolis. And we look at the world and we look at the culture and we look at the political system, we look at the social system and we say, man, this thing is so broken this thing is so damaged, it's so far gone, we're going to lose it. And we speak with speech that seems to indicate that the church's best days are behind it. That, that concerns me. Church, I don't believe that's true of us this morning. But maybe you're in this place today, and if you're honest with yourself, you believe that maybe your life, or maybe the life of our culture, has gone too far to be redeemed. Church, if I believed that this morning, I wouldn't waste my time preaching. If we as a church truly believed that, we wouldn't keep showing up like we do. But the reason you keep showing up is because deep down in your heart, you know that the Holy Spirit breaking through is going to change everything. Church, I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit can use people like you and me to transform this community. I don't know that everybody will get saved. I don't know that I believe that will happen. That's not for me to decide. But what I know is that you and I have been commanded by Jesus. He said, hey, I'm leaving. You're getting the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to go into all nations and baptize and teach them what I've commanded you. That's the mandate. And church, if we spend our time and emotional energy condemning the culture for its brokenness, we cannot reach what we also condemn. May we not forget how broken and lost we were when the Holy Spirit came to us. Amen? If the Holy Spirit was strong enough to save Blake Jackson, he's strong enough to save anybody. If he can save me, he can save anybody in the Massac County Detention Center. And by the way, he has been. Praise God. If he can save me, if he can redeem me, if he can transform me, if he can change my priorities, if he can change my outlook, if he can change my status, if he can change all of these things in me, he can do it in anybody. And if he doesn't do it through me, the Bible tells me pretty clearly in John 16, if God is not changing other people through my ministry, the only reason is that it's not showing through me. And that's a concern for me is that people don't see it in me. It should keep us up at night that people look at our lives and don't see the Holy Spirit's transforming work. That should be a burden if that's true about us. Amen? You see, I don't fear what the culture or what the world can take from me because they can't take anything from me because I've already laid my life down at the cross so that I could receive Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you've done the same thing. And I want to leave you with some encouragement this morning. We can win this town. This belongs to us. Jesus left the church on this earth so that we could take dominion and take authority. Jesus put us here to reach this community, not condemn it. Jesus put us here so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we could transform our family, not condemn it. Jesus put us here so that we could overcome our sin, not condemn ourselves in it. Jesus put the Holy Spirit in us so that he could transform us, not that we would be condemned. 
It is the power of the Holy Spirit to show the world what God can do in one man. D.L. Moody said it this way. D.L. Moody said it this way. He said, the world has not yet seen a regular man completely 100% bought out by the Holy Spirit. Not yet. And he said, by all the power he had in him, he strived to be that man, and God used him. I wonder this morning if that's you.